Blog Talk Radio. Stand by, we have some technical difficulties. Stand by. Okay. We're sorry that we had some technical difficulties. We have only 44 minutes left on this teaching. And this is a 55-minute sermon on prosperity, false prosperity doctrine by Winworthy. Thank you for listening to us at Live Difference in that radio. We apologize for the technical problems that we have. We will broadcast this. And if we find that this broadcast is not sufficient, we will redo it. Without further ado, Winworthy, Prosperity Doctrine Exposed. You heard Brother John's message this morning. You know that witchcraft works. And if God is not anything and people keep pushing for it, the demons will come in and fill the vacuum. And they will do what God refuses to do. That's why these institutions that have not been built on scriptural principles are doomed to collapse and to fall to pieces because they are not based on sound biblical principles. The Word Faith Movement introduced the claimant and grab it and grab it and all that sort of thing. Confess it and possess it, all that good stuff. And that is not in the scriptures. It has afflicted the church with a a materialistic flavor that is totally foreign to scriptures. I would like to see Paul get in one of these big conferences where they're naming it and claiming it. I'd like to see him make a shambles of that place and say, who has bewitched you, you fools? Because Paul didn't mince any words. You know, he called people who taught false doctrine false apostles, false sent forth ones. Peter talked about those who had appointed themselves to be apostles. I have no doubt that God, if he chooses, can raise up apostles in our day. The ones I've met wouldn't qualify for a good pew sitter, let alone an apostle. They might qualify for a a fundraiser, a con man, a thief, a gasser, one with diarrhea of the mouth, out of control. But they certainly wouldn't qualify for what the Bible calls an apostle. And they're false apostles because they have appointed themselves. And other men have said, oh, yes, we believe it. When I see the works of Paul, I believe they are in the apostolic succession somewhere. But until I see somebody blazing a trail for Jesus, forget it. Forget it. Paul talked about them. He called these people fools. He talked about the things that the Corinthians had suffered And he talked about, you've suffered many things of these who would take of you. The greedy grabbers are in the saddle today. They're grabbing for everything you've got. And they they rake in all these fabulous hunks of money, and then they say, well, you know, we just really give most of it away to the ministry. It doesn't show. And besides all that, That's not why the Bible set up leaders anyway. They said, well, if we were in a secular business, we would have thus and so. You're not in a secular business, or maybe you are. 
You see, the confusion has come by taking prosperity and thinking that riches and material goods and things are, that's prosperity. No. Over there in, what is it, Second John, Third John, where it said, I would that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Your soul is bound by demonic forces, mind, will, and emotions, and you will prosper and be in health as you are delivered from evil spirits. And then God will give you enough to live on. Most people can't even be trusted with that. You know the scriptures on the walls back here somewhere, it is the Lord that giveth thee power to get wealth. And so even if you're a heathen out there, God has given you the power to get wealth. You say, well, I'm going to use it for myself. Do it at your own risk. You're chargeable to God for it. And whom much is given, much is required. You say, well, I haven't got much. Well, a lot of that's due to your own foolishness. You waste not, want not is a good old Puritan slogan. Some of you have gone through Thousands upon thousands of dollars, and you have nothing to show for it. That's not God's fault. Principles of economics are laid down in the book of Proverbs, among other places. Prosperity in material things is not necessarily an indication of spiritual blessing. It can be, but it isn't always so. Now, Paul was very rough on these boys that were taking money of the people. He worked with his own hands. He warned the Romans to avoid those that do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but who are serving themselves. He talked about another place whose God is their belly, who mind earthly things. And it's one thing to praise spiritual things, it's another thing to group. Now let's move on to some scripture. And again, please take your pencil out and write these down for later references. <clears throat> Our basic scripture is going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 12. Then we're going to drop down to 17 and 18. 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 12, and then 17 and 18. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, wherein cometh envy, strife, railings, and evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth. Do you know what destitute means? It means without any. And Brother John summed it up very well this morning when he talked about those who started out serving the Lord and then because of the power and authority that came with the position that God had given to them, they hadn't earned it. It was a gift from God. They began to abuse that power and reach 
and use it for their own selves, and it becomes witchcraft. Now, once you get on that train, it goes downhill fast, and it picks up speed all the way. And the devil has some neat little substitutes he runs in to keep the person from knowing they're off in deception. You know, after you listen to some preachers, it's so refreshing to go back to the Word of God. It's kind of like wallowing in a mud bath and then going and getting under a shower and getting rid of all that yucky yuck. When it becomes mystical, mixed up, and confused, you can mark it down. God's not teaching that. The Holy Spirit teaches clearly, plainly, and he sticks very doggedly to the Scriptures, and not just one or two, but to the whole body of Scriptures. Paul was writing to this young preacher to give him guidance, and he's warning him that there are those who do not teach wholesome things. They do not teach according to godliness. And by the way, their preaching will not lead to godliness either. It will lead the opposite way. If you get off doctrinally, if you veer off in a major area of doctrine, important area, and all doctrine is important, but what I mean is some of the critical points of doctrine. If you veer off from those and get off in left field following some idiot's revelation or prophecy or something, if you get off over there, it won't be long until you're off morally. It's not a very long step. If you get off morally, you will desert sound doctrine before long because you have to find a reason why you are so rotten. And sound doctrine will constantly convict you and call you to repent and get yourself straightened out with God. Therefore, if you are determined to go your way and do your thing, then you will not repent and you will begin to find fault with sound doctrine, and you'll move into something that's not in order to cover what you're doing. The two go together, like a horse and a carriage. They, they, do, they are related. You get off doctrinally, soon you'll be off morally. Now, you watch that. All of you have known of cases where a preacher came to town. He preached. He preached like a house of fire. He was going great. And the people were coming in, getting saved and blessed in many ways. And he was going on just fine. And the devil came along and said, Hey, you're something else. He said, No, no, no. I'm not. But say it once more. Let me hear it just one more time. It sounds so pleasant, but I'm, I'm not going to accept it. But, but I like to hear it. Just go ahead and say it again. And the first thing you know, pride is like a big old buzzard perched on his shoulder, whispering in his ears, my, aren't you God's little apple? Well, you're a mighty small one if you're God's little apple. And he is in bad shape if you and I are all he's got to depend on, I'll tell you that. The only way he depends on people is to be vessels, meet for the master's use to let Jesus shine forth. And the people must be attracted to Jesus Christ for the work to be done. It's done in the name of Jesus. It's done because of the work of Christ on the cross. It's done because of the resurrection power that guarantees everything God has promised. And it underwrites everything, guarantees He's coming back, guarantees uh, victory here. It guarantees all of these things. 
Salvation, deliverance, and healing is all secured by the same thing, the shedding, the pouring out of the precious blood of Jesus Christ, done on purpose, by grace, through faith, plus nothing. Best bargain you you bargain hunter, best bargain you'll ever find is salvation. Doesn't cost you anything. It costs God the crown jewel of heaven to buy salvation, but he gives it to us as a gift. Don't treat it lightly. But these people become proud if they go off in doctrine. They go off into doctrine that's not according to godliness, and they will become proud, knowing nothing. I've been in places in the past, in conferences, and I remember one in particular, and there was a man there who was way off, Marley. And there he sat on the platform. And when I walked in, I looked at him, I thought, ah, what is he doing here? I'd never seen him before. But the Lord told me. I later checked around quietly, found out. So I talked to the people in charge. I said, what in the world is, is it true? And they said, yes. I said, my God, what's he doing on the platform? Why is he up here preaching? They said, well, he has a good message. I said, he doesn't have any such thing. He's over the hill and out to lunch. And sure enough, before that conference was over, he and two others fled the place. I helped a little. But I didn't do it. God did it by doing an exposition of the book of Jude. And they ran in every direction. They ran screaming from the place, deserted their post. Why? Because sound doctrine routes out that kind of stuff. Proud, knowing nothing, doting about questions and strifes of words. They get hung up on all this kind of stuff. There's nothing wrong with word studies. But these people make a specialty of trying to twist words around to say what they want them to say. And out of this comes envy. Because I want to be the greatest preacher. I want to be like the prophet. I'm better than you are. No, you're not. I'm more spiritual. No, you're not. Envy promotes jealousy. These are works of the flesh, if you'll notice. And the only thing that the flesh can produce when it starts cranking, the flesh starts cranking, all you can produce is what the flesh can produce. Flesh produces flesh. Spirit produces spirit. Evil spirits produce evil spirits. Holy Spirit teaching produces godliness and obedience and a way for the, whole, the spirits of God to work in our lives. Well... These are perver that raise perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds. Notice their minds are shot. You fool with false doctrine, your mind will spin out of shape. And you will be able to believe the biggest lie on earth. And others who know will look at you and say, how can you believe that? Because your mind has been corrupted. If you subject it to this sort of thing, your mind will be corrupted and you won't be able to see it. 
destitute of truth. That means you won't have to worry about truth. You haven't got any. It'll be conspicuous by its absence. Now notice the root of this. All of these things working together. The moral factor, the mind factor, the mental factor, the spiritual factor. What does it produce? It says, you suppose that gain is godliness. Now, the next time you listen to a prosperity preacher, and there, you can take your pick. They're all on there. Listen to what he's talking about. Just listen to what he's talking about. He's telling you that the way you can tell for sure that he or anybody else is walking in the will of God is because you've got more money, better cars, lovelier houses, nicer furniture. You can go on more expensive vacations. You have better this and better that. It's always material. Isn't that strange? It's as if they have lost completely sight of things in Scripture, and that's because they have. They have switched horses somewhere. And now they think gain is godliness from such... Call unto them and say, Brethren, let me come and pray for thee that thou mightest repent of thine error. It said, Withdraw yourself. Cut them off. Tell them you don't want any more junk mail. Drop it. Forget you ever existed. Say, Well, it keeps coming. Right on the front of the envelope. Refused by addressee. Get back to the post office. Let them send it back and they'll have to pay postage on it. They can stop it. He said, From such withdraw thyself, but godliness with lots of money. Godliness with what? Contentment is great gain. Wait a minute. He didn't even say anything about your bank account, what kind of house you lived in, what kind of car you drove, or anything, what kind of clothes you have. Godliness with contentment is great gain. See, they've switched horses. They've gone from the uh, spiritual over to the material, and Paul is pulling them back and saying godliness, which is a spiritual quality, with contentment, that's another spiritual quality, is great gain. That means that's how you prosper. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Now, I've been to a lot of funerals in my ministry. I presided over a lot of funerals. And I'll tell you one thing, I've never seen that body in the coffin take anything with it. They're dressed in a suit or dress. But, and you say, well, they had their rings and watches on after the family's gone through. I've been there. The undertaker removes those and puts them aside in an envelope for the family. They don't take any of that thing with them. You'll take nothing with you. You didn't, did you have anything when you arrived? Well, you were there, don't you remember? If you don't remember, ask your mother if you brought anything along with you. You bring your suitcase? Say, ta-da, I'm here. 
No, you brought nothing into this world with you. Now, when you leave, you're going to leave the same way. Now, does it make sense to spend all your life working, piling up things that you're never going to be able to take with you? And yet, that's the kind of teaching that has corrupted the church. He said, having food and raiment, let us therefore gripe and bellyache and say, I'm not getting as much as they are. Having food and raiment, that's clothes. You say, well, I don't have very many. I know how to fix that. How would you like to go back when they were out in the wilderness? Children of Israel were out 40 years in the wilderness. Guess what? Their clothes and their shoes didn't wear out. Ladies, can you imagine wearing the same pair of shoes, same dress for 40 years? You say, what you talking about, preacher? I've got one that I've been wearing almost that long. <laughs> Having food and raiment, let's be careful. And I don't see it says filet mignon. It could be round steak, tube steak, you know, about this big round, about that long. Otherwise known as wieners. Could be pork and beans, although they've gone sky high. You can tell how old I am. I can remember when pork and beans were a nickel a can. You say you can still stand up after all that? Oh, yeah. You may not have the most glorious food, but you'll have enough to keep you alive. Notice how he put first things first, though. He said godliness with contentment. It's great gain. And then he says, we haven't brought anything with us. We're not going to take anything out with us. We didn't bring anything when we came. We're taking nothing with us when we leave. And he said, having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Now, wait a minute. He said, godliness with contentment. That means when you have something to eat and some kind of clothing to put on, now, if you don't have anything but shorts and a halter, I'll pray for you and help you find something a little more than that. But <clears throat> at any rate, if you have food and raiment, be content. And this is great gain. You say, I don't think it'd be that way. Well, see, you haven't tried it. Don't knock it till you try it. Go after the godliness first. Godliness is a, is a contracted word for three words. God or two words, God-likeness. How do you have God-likeness? It can only be done by the Holy Spirit working inside of us and bringing us into the walk with Jesus Christ. When that happens, the demons will have to be faced and destroyed and thrown out. Their demonic nests will have to go. The attitudes from the past will have to go. And we'll have to feed on the Word of God in order to know how we're supposed to behave. And so the Holy Spirit can direct us into new paths, new ways of thinking, new ways of walking, new values, everything. All things, are, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The trouble today is we've got a bunch of people in the churches packed in and they're loaded with grave clothes. 
They're come out of the grave. They're alive. Jesus said, come forth, and they did. But they're loaded with grave clothes. The odor of the grave is all over them. And their grave clothes is there. And Jesus spoke to the friends of Lazarus and said, Loose him and let him go. Loose him and let him go. That's the job of the friends of Jesus. He could have said, Grave clothes drop off. Couldn't he? I mean, do you doubt that he could do that? If he could bring him from death to life, don't you think he could speak for those rags to drop off? you got a mighty small God if he couldn't do, handle that. But he just said to his fr- near the friends around him, the friends of this man who loved him and had wept because he was dead. Did you ever weep because somebody's dead in trespasses and trespasses? Did you ever pray over them? What a joy when they come walking out of the grave, when they come forth out of the grave, hopping like a bunny rabbit. Because he was tied up like an Egyptian mummy. He couldn't walk. His legs were tied together, so he hopped out like he's in a sack race. But he moved. Jesus said, come forth. And he, uh, of course, he did preface it with Lazarus. You know why he did that? Every person from Adam on would have come out. I mean, it, there would have been millions of people on the earth all of a sudden hopping around. You have the Lord of glory speaking. So he limited it. He said, just Lazarus, you come forth. I'm glad because he'd have cleaned the slate. That's our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise his holy name. Amen. Well, they that be rich fall into a temptation and a snare. Watch it. They that be rich, I'm going to get a better job. I'm going to save my money. There's nothing wrong with that. A lot of you need a better job. A lot of you need to save your money. But if that becomes the driving ambition of your life, and that's the most important thing to you, it has moved over into idolatry. Be careful. They that will be rich, those that are determined, I'm going to make my money by the time I'm so-and-so, I'm going to have this and I'm going to have that. Nothing wrong with having goals, but if you have the goals whereby that controls your life and everything has to go by and you say, I'll get around to God later. I've got to get all this money together. I'll get around to the Lord later. I'll walk with Jesus later on. First, I've got to get this all piled up. Wrong. You don't even know how long you're going to be here. Now, they that be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts or strong desires of all kinds. If riches is the prime thing on your mind, you're going to fall into a temptation and a snare. Why? The next verse tells us, for money is the root of all evil. Oh, it doesn't say that in your Bible? It doesn't say that in mine either. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Many years ago, so far back most of you won't even remember this, there was an old popular ditty that stuck in my mind. And the name of it was Money is the Root of All Evil. And they sang that, you know, money is the root of all evil, money is the root of all evil. When I got saved after reading the Bible, I thought, whoa, they had it all wrong. Money's not evil. The love of it is evil. Some people 
can have $10 and live it. Other people can have $1,000 and yet they're not in love with it. They regard themselves as stewards unto the Lord to dispense this and to do what God says. It doesn't matter about the amount of money. It's your attitude toward it. Because a lot of times people say, well, money doesn't worry me because I don't have any. Well, you may love money worse than anybody. You have to be real careful because you'll set it up as a God. And what did Jesus say about idols? Beware of covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is wanting something. You say, oh, wait just a minute. We go by and you watch somebody and you see something, oh, I wish I had that. That's not covetousness. Until you say, boy, I wish I had that. I'd do anything to get that. Oh, if I if I get by with it, I'd knock him in the head and take it away from him. That's covetousness. When you get to where you're willing to go over the banks to get something, when you want something, so it's not just a thought, oh, that would be nice to have. It's this idea that I want it so bad that I'm going to have it, I don't care what. And the terrible thing is once you get it, it's not that satisfying. That's the way the world always is. I heard about a preacher, and I think Brother John Eckhart's going to share with you tonight before the mass deliverance, about a preacher who's been offering people prosperity if they send him $1,000. He's having to run now because he's getting death threats. These people didn't pay off. They were, he, he hung into some mean folks. He forgot to get them sanctified before he took the money. Well, I have a death threat. I hope it's not over somebody's money. The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, notice what happens when you get in love with money. They erred from the faith. They went astray from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You want to have many sorrows? You think things are bad now? If you go after money and the love of money becomes your main thought, then you're going to be pierced through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God. Now he's done all this to warn what's possible when you get wrapped up in the material universe and you think that godliness is equated with material possessions and material prosperity. That's wrong. Or do you think these modern-day preachers know more than Paul did? I think I'll stick with the old apostle. He's lasted over nearly 2,000 years. These other birds are just, they're Johnny Jerkups. They're fresh on the scene. And when they leave, a lot of their stuff's going to leave with them because it's not worth anything but kindling. They're making a big stir right now. But let's see what, what happens to them in the long run. <clears throat> they err from the faith, pierce themselves through with many sorrows, but, O oh, thou man of God, flee these things. Well, can't I just look them over? No. Flee. Run. Do not walk. Stay away from people who are all wrapped up in money. Don't listen to preachers who all they can talk about is raising money. 
Jesus did not raise money. Paul did not raise money. Other people didn't raise money. That was not the primary emphasis. They were preaching salvation, deliverance, and healing. Check it out. This fundraising spectacular thing is totally foreign, totally new, has no relationship to scriptures. Oh, they bend a few on the way, but they really won't fit when you hold the whole scripture. Paul says, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Dollar bills, automobiles, houses, land. Isn't that funny? He didn't put any of that in there. That's because he knew where it was. He knew where the treasure is. The treasure is not in material things. If you have material things from the Lord, praise the Lord, enjoy them, rejoice about it, but don't get carried away with it. Be a good steward. If the things go away, that's not a sign of God's mad at you. Could be, but it's not necessarily so. So don't go on a pout and fit with God. Just say, okay, Lord, had the seven years of plenty, now we'll have the seven lean years. Are you able to go through the lean years with him? If you're not, you're not worth much to him. Flee these things and get in the business of following righteousness, godliness, faith. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. Love. Not hearing his love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave himself to be the complete propitiation for our sins, a complete payoff. This is where the love comes from, Jesus Christ. It originates in him, it multiplies in him, and his people will be filled with it. Patience. Oh, why did he want to do that? Why didn't he leave it over in James where it belongs? Then you could avoid it. So you could say, well, I'll read James next month. James is the terrible diary. Well, it's really a laxative. It was the first of the New Testament books to be written down. Did you know that? It quotes or paraphrases from all but three or four of the Old Testament books. And it is a small package of dynamite. Now, you know what a laxative is, don't you? Maybe I should explain. I'll have to tell a story. This is good. This is a story not about me, but somebody else. I know somebody when she was a little girl. Her mother went to the grocery store, and she picked up a bunch of stuff at the grocery store. In those days, they had some little things that looked like chiclets called Analax, and they tasted like peppermint. They were peppermint flavored. And this little girl was in the back seat of the car, and she noticed that. She thought, oh, how nice. And she opened it. She, mmm, good. Good, good, good. And pretty soon she said, I can't believe I ate the whole thing. She ate the whole box. And all night long she was reminded (laughs) over and over. (laughs) And her mother said, I guess that'll teach you. Now you, oh, but it hurts, it hurts. I know, I know. 
You, you want some more? No, no, no. I mean, it cleaned her out. From stem to turn, that child was pure. It was like a fire hose. I mean, there was nothing left. And to that day to this, that lady has no interest in peppermint-flavored laxatives. <laughs> and what was I doing? <laughs> James, thank you. James is like that. You say, well, I don't know whether I want to read it or not. Oh, go ahead. Eat the whole thing. <laughs> Try the whole box and see what happens. It's good for what ails you. It'll get you on your knees. Put things in perspective. It's a wonderful little short course. It's, it's little. You can sit down and read it at one sitting. It doesn't take long to read it. Not as long as some. Sit down and read it through and ask God to speak to you about it. It's a wonderful book. But I don't know why Paul has to stick patience right over in the big middle of that. <laughs> And he knew that God does not send the finished product of patience. He only sends the raw materials. You know what patience is made of? Impossible situations, horrible people, dreadful, situa dreadful unbearable things that come upon you. I can't stand him. If that happens again, I'm going to scream. I'm going to run but the wall. Guess what? God just sent you a load of raw materials out of which you make patience. You say, well, I can't do it. And he knew that. Therefore, you have to depend on him, and he makes patience out of impossible situations. If you want some more of that, try the Analects over in James. He'll take you further in. Patience. Follow these, he said. And meekness, which means gentleness. And this gentleness doesn't mean Mr. Milk Toast, by the way. It means like a horse is gentle. You can take a great big horse that's well-trained and just by a slight touch on the bridle, the gentler that horse is, the quicker he will turn. And we pursue gentleness because we are to be gentle in the hands of the Lord. That is, we are to be able for him to control us easily by the Holy Spirit. All right. Fight the good fight of faith. No money there. Lay hold on eternal life. He's still in the spiritual realm, isn't he? Whereunto thou art also called. And here I thought some people were called to bring prosperity to God's people in this day and age. That's what they're saying. But he says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art called and profess the good profession before many witnesses. He's talking about spiritual things. I give, them, I give thee charge in the sight of God that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable till the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that pretty well locks it in, doesn't it? It's not going to go out of fashion. So you better concentrate on learning this and ask God to show you how to put it in effect in your life because it's not going to go out of style. Charge them that are rich in this world. Some Christians have more money. He said, charge them. Oh, that sounds good. Get a basket. Charge them. No. Get them to put their own charge card. No. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. 
that they not think that they're something special because they happen to have a lot of this world's goods. Charge them that they don't trust in uncertain riches. It's harder when you have a lot of money not to trust in that. You can buy your way out. Not so. He said, charge them, that is, warn them lovingly but firmly that they must not trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. If you have great riches, you have a responsibility to be a good steward. A steward is someone to whom something has been entrusted, and you must learn how to walk with Jesus, how to understand the leading of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God so that you can use what you have, not just to meet your needs, that's, there's nothing wrong with that, but also to, do, to aid whatever God wants done in the world. Now, in 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 5, 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 5, Paul is still writing to this young man. 2 Timothy was a swan song. Paul will have his head chopped off shortly after he writes this letter. And he told Timothy, hurry and come to me quickly, because he knew the time was drawing near for him to go out. And so he wanted to talk to Timothy one more time. But then he thought, well, in case I don't get to see you, I'll write this letter. So 2 Timothy is just jammed with everything he could think of that he needed to talk to Timothy about just in case Timothy didn't make it. And Timothy didn't. Paul was executed, had his head chopped off before Timothy ever got to him. So keep that in mind as you read 2 Timothy. These words are especially critical. Paul is trying to pack in to this young man everything he wants him to know. Endure hardness, 2 Timothy 2, 3. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, why did he pick that example? Soldier? Hardness? That means there's a fight going on and only those willing to discipline themselves and subject themselves to the discipline of the Lord are going to be qualifying here. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. All he's talking about is that you cannot be a good soldier if you become entangled with the things of this world. You say, well, how am I going to do that? I've got to work and make a living. God knows that. But put Jesus first. Be a Christian first. Your job is a way to make expenses so you can do what you like to do, and that's serve Jesus. Does that make sense? If you want to walk with Jesus, that's where it is. And he says endure hardness. Be willing to go through hard things. Be willing to go through privation and sacrifice to be a good soldier. And he said, you're not going to be able to be a good soldier if you get all tangled up and your main interest is in the things of this world. You have to be interested in the things of this world. You can't just say they don't exist. Well, God, just put the pork and beans on the table. We'll sit here and wait. Hallelujah. You might do that if you're a George Mueller, but I haven't met any of those lately. 
You ought to read his. If you think you're a big prayer warrior, if you think you've got a lot of faith, read George Mueller, that book on, in the book room on George Mueller's autobiography. You want to crawl under a plank somewhere and hide. It wasn't any sense to anybody being like that. I mean, he just puts you under conviction, something horrible. Tell you another, we don't have it currently, but we usually have it. One called Pray and Hide. You think you prayed? Lord, have mercy. That man prayed so much, you figure, Lord, I hadn't even, I don't even know how to pray. All I know how to pray, bless the Lord. Bless them, eat, let's eat. Amen. About the depth of my prayers compared to this man. I mean, he moved people with prayer. Unbelievable. Read like a mighty wind if you want to find out what happens when God really comes through a place. <clears throat> and he talks about if you strive for the masters, you're crowned only if you, if you strive lawfully. He's talking about the Olympic Games. They ran a race, and they were crowned with the leaves off of a laurel tree, the one that won. Only one could win. They all ran the race, 